We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 in just a few moments. Uh, This is the beginning of a new series. It's going to last just three weeks through the Christmas season called Christmas, Good News in Troubling Times. Well, Don Ritchie had a home beside an ocean cliff outside Sydney, Australia, in an area known as The Gap. It's a popular visitor destination, but it's also a place that's gained infamy as a place where people go to commit suicide. And it's estimated that about 50 people end their lives each year in this particular area. Well, as individuals walked up to the cliff, looking at the crashing waves below and wondering whether to jump, Don would approach them with a smile, asking, why don't you come over to my house for a cup of tea? Through the years before his own death, his family estimated that he had stopped more than 400 people from taking their own lives by jumping off those cliffs. Accepting his offer, these people would be invited into his home or they would have a a chat over that cup of tea. There was no counseling, no advising, no prying, just one human being listening with his ears to another. Some of these people had mental problems, some had medical illnesses, others were just people going through a rough patch in their life. For many, a listening ear was apparently all they needed as they changed their minds about jumping after the chat and turned back toward their homes. I read that story and that really moved me and I thought, you know, we are surrounded by people in similar circumstances. The people that we walk past in the street may be on the verge of throwing in the towel of giving up. And as God's children, as Christians, we should be situated on the edge of the cliff, if you will, offering hope, love, and a listening ear. We should point to Jesus who says to them and to us, come unto me and I will give you rest. I wonder if you feel like you've hit an emotional wall over the last couple of years. You know, according to a recent survey, three in four Americans report that the constant stream of bad news has taken a tremendous toll on their lives. And not surprisingly, 80% of those people say they are desperate to be cheered up. Imagine that. If there's ever a time that we need the hope of Christmas, this is it. This past year, for many, has been unfamiliar and uncomfortable and uncertain. I've heard myself, a number of people say, I'm so glad this year is almost over, as if everything will automatically reset on January 1st. But what if it doesn't? It probably won't, right? Well, I mentioned today we're starting this three-week message series, and we're calling it Good News in Troubling Times. And today's message is entitled, Finding Hope in our uncertainties. And I suppose if we were to take our own survey here, we would discover that hope is hard to find at times. Hope is not only hard to find, it can be difficult to define. Some people equate hope with a, just kind of an optimistic feeling that all will turn out well. Kind of like the weather. Oh, I hope it's gonna be good tomorrow. For some, hope is wishful thinking that something might just change, but they have no plan or idea how that change might come about. 
For others, it's just a general feeling that some desire will be fulfilled. And then, of course, we know that some have lost hope because of perhaps broken relationships or ongoing health issues or recurring disappointment with life in this difficult world. For most of us, I would imagine our lives are filled with a combination of both hope and hopelessness at times, of, of promise and of problems. But we need to understand that the definition of Christian hope is much more robust, if you will, than simply being optimistic, thinking positive thoughts. Hope has weight to it because its source is our holy God. In the Old Testament, the word hope means to bind together, often by twisting. It refers to the process of a rope, making a rope by twisting two or more strands of material together. And if we understand it in this way, then hope means that I bring my problems to the Lord, and as I hold on to God's specific promises, I release my problems. To hope means to wrap my problems together with the Lord's promises. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, put it this way in Ecclesiastes 4.12 as he was talking about God's provision and his promises and our problems. And he wrote, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And as believers, we come to understand that that third strand is Emmanuel. Jesus Christ, God with us. He is heaven's child and he is the hope of the world and the hope for us personally. And with him wrapped around our lives, we can have hope and that feeling of safety and security. If we were to kind of put it into an equation, it might look like this. My problems plus God's promises equals God's provision. Here's a definition of hope that I came across that I found very helpful. Hope is wishing for what God has already promised to us. I love that statement because so often we hope and wish for things that are beyond our control or things that are maybe not even necessary or things that are impossible. But when our hope is based in what God has already promised, it is a secure hope. The word hope is used 52 times in the New Testament. Isn't that cool? 52 times, always grounded in God. And so that made me think, you know, that's enough for hope for every week of the year. So there you go. Go home, get out your concordance, look up hope in the New Testament, and pick out a hope verse once a week and read it. Well, the setting of today's passage that we're going to look at takes place after the birth of Jesus. We're kind of going a little backwards here, but that's all right. We're saving the birth for Christmas time, right? So we're going to jump ahead just a bit. When Joseph and Mary bring the infant Jesus to the temple to present him for his dedication. And in this account, we're introduced to two characters who make their appearance in this final act of the Christmas drama, if you will. One is a man named Simeon, and the other is a woman named Anna. Now, they don't appear in any nativity scenes or on many Christmas cards, 
They're somewhat obscure characters in the Christmas story that many of us know so well, but they are significant players in the first Christmas pageant. Both of these people exhibited hope in the midst of uncertainty. They were waiting for something. Actually, they were waiting for someone. And that's what we want to take a look at this morning. And so we're going to start with Mr. Simeon. Simeon, hoping for rest. Verse 25 describes his character. Let's read this together. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Amen. God's word. And so I want us to notice three things. Three things we can learn about Simeon right in this passage. Number one, he was righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? It means your life is lined up with God's word. Righteous, being in line with God's plans and purposes for you. He was righteous. The second thing that I want you to see is that he was reverent or devout. That means he took his faith seriously. And then third, he was receptive. Notice that it says he longed to, for God to bring consolation in the midst of hope. To bring some good feeling and some purpose in the midst of this hopeless situation of chaos that he lived in. You know, hope was hard to find in Simeon's day because there were troubling times and dark days in the life of the nation of Israel. After being invaded and then exiled because of their disobedience, Israel was now a defeated nation. They were living under Roman rule and oppression. It was a dark and difficult time. And the faith of Israel then has also been corrupted from within by the legalistic Pharisees and the worldly Sadducees. And so it was a tough time to be a devout, righteous man in the midst of a dark time. After enduring 400 years of silence, the, God, the people of Israel had not heard from God for 400 years. Finally, God sends angels to announce good news and great joy. God's king had come. And Israel's long, lonely exile is coming to an end. Darkness and death were the context of the first Christmas. You know, so often on our Christmas cards and on our scenes, it's, it's clean and neat and beautiful, isn't it? But those were dark and difficult times. People like Mary and Joseph were living in extreme, abject poverty. It was hard. It was dangerous, it was scary, it was a terrible time. And into that time comes the Messiah. God announces light and life through the special servants that he still had on duty. People like Simeon. Verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit made it clear to Simeon that he would not taste death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This, this no doubt filled this righteous man with great hope. In verse 27, the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple courts at just the right time, on just the right day, the very time and day that Joseph and Mary were bringing their infant son to the temple. And when Simeon looked upon 
the baby Jesus, who would now be perhaps about six weeks old, he knew that God had kept his promise. Here in front of him was Emmanuel, God with us, to make everything right, to provide salvation, and to eliminate hopelessness and fear and loneliness. And Simeon was privileged to see this. In verse 28, it says that Simeon abruptly reached down and took Jesus, took that baby right out of Mary's arms, and he began to praise God. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, can you imagine that? Can you imagine how he felt after a lifetime of waiting and seeking for the Messiah, and now he is holding the Savior in his arms? What a feeling of joy must have come into Simeon's life. And by the way, parents and grandparents, how would you feel if some old man, some stranger came stumbling up to you and took your baby right out of your arms and started singing out loud? Probably think he was crazy. I'm sure it would have been a bit unsettling for Joseph and Mary as as Simeon broke out into praise and he acknowledged that God had not only fulfilled the individual promise to him, but also the promises of the prophets that had spoken for so long and promised to send the anointed one to comfort and console both Jews and Gentiles. And so Simeon's song is found in verses 29 through 32 of our text. Let's read it together. The words are on the screen. Let's read his song. I want you to imagine him singing out loud as he's holding baby Jesus. Let's read. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Amen. Imagine the joy as Simeon shouted out those words. Now, now that Simeon had seen the Savior, he is literally ready to die. You see, to see Jesus is to see salvation. And friends, until we embrace him, we are not ready. To depart this place, are we? The word depart that is used in the text here is really a quite vivid word. It was used of releasing a prisoner or untying a ship so that it could leave the pier. It was used of taking down a tent as you were ready to move on or unyoking a beast of burden. You see, when a follower of Jesus dies, they are released from the burdens of this life and ushered into the blessings of eternal life. Simeon knew that. Now I'm ready to depart, he says. Verse 33 tells us how Mary and Joseph responded to the song of Simeon. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. That word marvel means to be astonished to admire and wonder to the point of, of, of abandon is this idea of their minds were blown as they heard Simeon speak these words. And by the way, the tense indicates that they kept on marveling. It wasn't just a, a momentary marveling, but it was a, wow, look at what God is doing in our life. 
But then the mood shifts from admiration at what Simeon has just spoken to a bit of agony, I suppose, as the shadow of the cross appears in verse 24. Look at the words. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And so here we have some foreshadowing, don't we? If there was a music track, it would be dun, dun, dun. This is the, the, the dark part coming in. You see, friends, Christmas splits people into two camps. Since Jesus entered this world, he has divided the human race, some to fall and others to rise. You see, because of who Jesus is and what he came to do, he forces us to make a decision about him. Jesus is either a rock that you build your life upon, that's the, the sense of rising, or he is the rock that you stumble over, that's the, the meaning of falling. We can't stay neutral about Jesus. We are either for him or against him. And right now, today, in this very moment, you are either moving closer towards Jesus or farther away. We have the sun in our life or we don't. There's no middle ground. Well, Simeon has one last word for Mary, and it's in verse 35, and he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so we've seen Simeon speak of a stone and a sign and now a sword. The word for sword here refers to a large, wide sword, the kind that a, a soldier would carry into battle. And the idea is that Mary will have her soul sliced open and experience extreme anguish. The tense indicates that the pain will constantly keep on piercing. When does that happen? In John chapter 19 and verse 25, remember that John was one, the one apostle that was standing at the cross and he was there with Mary and we read in John 19, 25 that she stood by the cross and she watched as her baby boy, now a grown man, was executed like a common criminal. And when the sword, the spear, pierced his side, can't you just imagine that her own soul was skewered with that sword? What heartbreak, what anguish, and yet what hope comes from this event. Simeon is hoping for rest. Rest from the pressure and the hardship and the disappointments and the uncertainties of the world in which he has spent his entire life. And he looks to Jesus for the solution. And friends, if we want that same rest, if we want to rise above the pressure and the hardship and the disappointment and the uncertainty in our life and our world, then we too must look to Jesus for the solution. Well, Luke in his gospel often pairs together a man and a woman in his various encounters. And he does that here. And so next we're introduced to Anna. 
in verses 36 and 37. Let's read these verses on the screen. Anna, hoping for redemption. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Amen. The word of God. And so after her husband died, Anna dedicated herself to fasting and praying in the temple. She'd been doing that for 77, 78 years. In fact, she never left the temple. The text says she worshiped day and night. The phrase did not depart literally reads, she kept on not leaving. She kept on not leaving. She was making a conscious choice to say, this is where I belong now. Worshiping, praying, fasting before God. She was looking forward to the same person as Simeon was, but with a different orientation. Instead of looking for rest, Anna was looking for redemption, as we see in verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The phrase coming up means to burst in. And it's like, I just imagine it like this. She heard Simeon holding that baby boy and singing at the top of his lungs. And she realized, this is it. And she burst onto the scene. And when Simeon had finished, she burst out in praise. And she began speaking about redemption. Redemption. A redemption or a ransom is something that is paid to provide for the release of someone else who's being held captive. And friends, Jesus paid our ransom, didn't he? To redeem us from sin and death and hell. The Old Testament Passover and the release of Israel from Egyptian slavery was so familiar to these ancient people. And they stood in Anna's day and Simeon's day as the ultimate example of redemption and the symbol of God's power to release captives. And after that first Passover, God commanded the Israelites to make animal sacrifices over and over for substitutionary atonement. That is, an animal's death temporarily took the place of a person's death. Death being the penalty for our sins. And so through the centuries, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of animals were slaughtered in a bloody ceremony to give the people of Israel a vivid picture of the horrendous cost of sin, the ugliness of sin. And it's important for us to keep three things in mind when we think about this idea of redemption. Three things. Number one, redemption implies bondage. All right? That means every person is enslaved to sin. If we don't understand that, then we have no need or hope of being redeemed. So redemption implies bondage. Number two, redemption implies cost. 
A price has to be paid to buy the slave out of bondage. And then third, redemption implies the ownership of that which is redeemed. Paul makes this very clear in in his uh, letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he writes these words. You are not your own. He's writing to Christian people now. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so friends, we see Anna was waiting with hope for the final sacrifice of the Savior so that people could be set free from their sins, not temporarily by bringing an animal over and over again, but forever. Here at last was the one who would pay the price to purchase people for himself. In fact, the very name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the personal name of God. Yahweh saves. Jesus, Yahweh saves. The angel Gabriel said it like this in Matthew 1, 21, when he was talking about Mary, he said, she will bear a son and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That was the announcement that God made through the angel Gabriel. So I want to just finish up here by thinking about how we can hold on to hope. We're talking about having hope in the midst of uncertainty. And so when I went back and kind of read through this passage uh, uh, again, it struck me that Simeon and Anna exhibited three key activities that I think helped them to hold on to hope. And friends, I think we can and we should and we must do the same. If we want to hold on to hope amidst the uncertainties of this life, the first thing that we'll do is we'll come to a place of worship. Worship. In verse 28, Simeon took him up, that is the baby, up in his arms and blessed God. And according to verse 37, Anna had committed herself to what? worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And so the question for you and I, friends, is will we choose to worship? Will you choose to worship? Is worship an integral part of your life and lifestyle? Or is it an occasional exception that you squeeze in to the busyness of life? Worship must be a cornerstone of who we are if we are to live in hope. The second thing that we must hold on to is witness. Witness. Simeon boldly declared in verse 32 that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then we read in verse 38 how Anna kept on speaking of him to all. She couldn't keep the good news to herself. She was a prophet. She could not hold on to the good news. Worship first and then witness. And so the question I ask us now is, do we actively seek ways to witness? Are we consistently looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our life to those around us? Worship, witness, and then finally, wait. Wait. In verse 25, we see how Simeon was waiting. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Anna did the same in verse 38. Waiting for the redemption of Israel. 
And so friends, will you? Will you wait while you're worshiping and witnessing? You see, biblical hope is linked to waiting. And you know what? Our American lifestyle doesn't lend itself to waiting very well at all, does it? We want things to happen quickly. We want to press the button and order it, and it better be on our front porch the next day. We want things to happen. We're not good at waiting. But friends, we must wait. And as we wait, we come to understand this, that Jesus provides what we need. He provides what we need. Jesus provided the very things Simeon and Anna were hoping and waiting for, rest and redemption. And so let me ask you this. What are you hoping for this Christmas? What are you hoping for? A new shiny gadget? Or are you hoping for rest? Can any of, any of us identify with Simeon's song? We may, we may be hurting so much that we've lost hope. You may feel lonely or empty or afraid or just maxed out. Do you feel tired? Do you feel weary? Do you need some comfort, some consoling? Do you need a fresh sense of God's presence? If so, you can find all of that and more in Jesus. He came to give us rest right where we're at. See, he didn't, he didn't come to fix everything for us. It's not like he's our holy vending machine God and we're pressing our button and making our requests. He is coming to give us rest in the midst of all of the junk. Jesus gives us an invitation today. It's recorded in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. I mentioned it early on. It's his words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy of burden, and I will give you rest. Those are the words of the Lord. And those are the words of the promise. As we wrap our life around the rope of his promise, we can find rest in Jesus. And then number two, redemption. Maybe you resonate more with Anna's announcement. Are you plagued maybe with some guilt, some shame because of something that you've done in the past, some stuff that you're lugging around with you, the way that you've been living? Maybe you feel like you're trapped in a pattern of sin that you're just having a hard time breaking out of. Maybe your situation seems hopeless. If so, then you're in need of redemption. And Jesus can save you because he gave his life as a ransom, a payment for you and for me. Listen to what he said as recorded in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes to pay the price, the price that we owe, but he's willing to do it for us. In 2017, surgeons in Australia successfully performed a world-first transplant surgery. They installed a 3D-printed tibia into the leg of Reuben Lichter, 
who faced losing his leg above the knee to amputation. You understand what they did there? They, they made a bone out of plastic, printed it on a 3D printer, and then they implanted it in this guy's leg. Lichter's tibia began causing him intense pain and he was diagnosed with a serious bone disease. And the disease infected his entire bone, causing it to gradually disintegrate. And so when he was offered the chance to undergo this experimental procedure, he agreed to this attempt to save his leg rather than to have his leg amputated. And so just two days after his baby son was born, Mr. Lichter went to the hospital where he had five operations over a period of six months. And after the final surgery, the procedure was declared a success. And Mr. Lichter is now doing well. He is walking. In fact, he was able to walk 18 months after that final procedure. Mr. Lichter said that his own son, William, would be walking before he was able to walk. But he said, if there was a chance for me to save my leg and do the things I wanted to do with my son, then I was going to take it. Isn't that an amazing story? But friends, how much more profound how much more amazing is the hope that God gives those of us that are infected by sin, which is all of us, when he replaces our sinful heart with a new heart, when he replaces our corrupt nature with a new nature, when he replaces our defiled mind with the mind of Christ. That's what God wants to do for us. And he wants to do it today and every day going forward. And so may you experience the rest and redemption that only Jesus can bring. And may this Christmas season remind you of the hope. The hope that lifts us above the uncertainties that swirl about in this world we live in. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful.